The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Stand at the base and look up at 3,000 feet of blankness. It just looks like there's no way you can climb it. That's what you seek as a climber. You want to find something that looks absurd and figure out how to do it. Tommy Caldwell. But this one took me a lot of tries. It like it really had my number for some reason. Uh, probably I was partly tired and I don't know. I just had a lot of difficulty putting this one together. So we ended up waiting that whole day uh, on this ledge, which fortunately is a really nice ledge. We're like hanging out, uh, just jamming to music and eating food and kind of just like chilling on the side of a mountain 2,000 feet up the wall for the entire day. But it would have been super relaxing, but I was stressed about having to send this pitch still. Uh, So I was like, impatient all day and like kind of stressed about having to do this still i'm doc and this is the john freaking mirror pod welcome to the john freaking Muir pod lace up those boots and sling on the pack for a romp through trails short and long with your host and renaissance man, Doc, it's time to embrace the suck. Welcome back to another week on the trail. I'm Doc, and this is the John Freaking Mirpod. Let's start off with a reminder. If you are enjoying the podcast, help us out. Take just a minute and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not enjoying the pod, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. All right, let's get to this week's guest with whom I am very excited to talk. We are going to take a trek down a side trail this week to explore another branch of the outdoor adventure tree as we talk with a self-described energy expenditure enthusiast. Welcome to the podcast, Amity Warm. Hi, Doc. Thanks for inviting me on the show today. I've actually never, never been on a podcast before, so this is a first. Okay, well, just fake it till you make it. We're just going to talk and have fun. 
<laughs> Sounds good. Okay. So I know that with American long trails, there is the tradition of handing out trail names and you know, these can be something that happens on the trail, some peculiar oddity about a hiker, where they're from for any, any number of reasons, this, this uh, trail name can, can come to life. Uh, do they have the same type of tradition in climbing? I really don't. So I don't have a trail name but maybe you guys can come up with a wall name for me today. Oh, I like that. A wall name. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll keep our ears open and we'll see if we come up with a wall name for you. Excellent. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. What exactly is an energy expenditure enthusiast? That's a lot of ease. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I think this title self described title, um, Describes me in a couple different ways. So first off, I'm kind of your classic like overstoker and chronically psyched for the next adventure. I love trying really freaking hard, and I thrive on like the mental and physical challenge of high energy output pursuits such as rock climbing. Uh, but second, I'm also pursuing a master's degree in sports nutrition right now. So. I'm a huge proponent of this high energy expenditure in sports and outdoor activities, but I'm even stronger proponent of um, adequately fueling those endeavors. So I think in the world of sports, especially sports like rock climbing and through hiking, you're using just a ton of energy. Um, I think it's really common to see athletes not fueling themselves enough and that that chronic energy deficit is really detrimental. So kind of my goal in pursuing a career in sports nutrition is to help athletes use nutrition to maximize both health and performance. So yeah, that's where the uh, energy expenditure enthusiast title comes from. I like the way that ties together. That's, that's very nice and and clean and neat energy expenditure (laughs) and and fueling that energy. That's, that is, uh, that's perfect. Yep. And so after a, a long day on the wall or a long day on the tra- trail, how do you properly fuel yourself? What, what are some recommendations? What approach should people take? Uh, well, a big piece of it is fueling throughout the day. So not just at the end of the day when you're done with the adventure, but kind of keeping that energy level up throughout the day is a really big thing. Um, but I, I, whatever sounds good to you at the end of the big, big adventure. So I enjoy going back to our van and cooking a meal of pasta or fajitas, something that's going to refill the tank for the next day. Are you strictly rock climbing or do you have other types of outdoor adventure that you're involved in? I would say I won't often turn down an adventure of any kind, but the primary focus is definitely rock climbing. Um, So within rock climbing, there's kind of several different disciplines, uh, like sport climbing uh, versus trad climbing versus bouldering. So it's kind of these different um, disciplines within climbing. But yeah, largely climbing is my primary focus. Okay, let's let's take just a minute and kind of unpack those three terms that you just threw out there. I am no expert in the world of climbing, and some people might say I'm no expert in the world of hiking either, but I'm going to rely <laughs> on you to help us kind of define the different things we're talking about. So when you say trad climbing, what 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 is that? Right, so trad climbing is um, stands for traditional climbing, but it's where 
you're climbing a rock feature where there's cracks in the rock. Um, so you're protecting yourself. You're, you're tied into a rope. You're climbing with this rope attached to you and you are putting your own gear into the rock. So you're putting a camming device into the rock and clipping your rope into it. Um, but then that device then comes out of the rock when you're done with the climb. So it's not a permanent thing. Um, so you're not leaving anything in the rock when you're done with it um, versus sport climbing where there's bolts like permanent bolts fixed into the rock because there would otherwise be no way to protect, to make it safe basically without these nat or without these permanent bolts that have been drilled into the rock. And then bouldering is kind of the third main discipline and that's much shorter. So you're maybe only going, 10 to 15 feet off the ground. Um, so you're not wearing a rope for that and you're just kind of landing on like a big pad um, when you jump off the rock. So yeah, a little bit of different variation with all three different disciplines. And when you're landing on that crash pad, how, how what, what typically is the distance that you're falling before impact? Uh, it, it depends. I mean, sometimes you're climbing like a big, steep roof and you're only falling a couple of feet to the ground sometimes you're on a bigger boulder and maybe 15 to 20 feet off the ground I don't actually boulder very much so sport climbing and trad climbing are really where I focus um and within that more so the crack climbing the trad climbing um both single pitch so like like one rope length off the ground is a pitch um, and then like big multi-day or like big full day adventures. Um, and those long, long climbing adventures kind of suit me well, cause they're really often a test of both endurance and pain tolerance, both of which are my strong suit. So that's kind of where I focus. All right. I, I guess that's a great strength to have pain tolerance. <laughs> it serves me well. <laughs> All right. And so a pitch is a single length of rope, correct? And so you, you, you just kind of define there that you, you do anything from single pitch to multi-pitch. And multi-pitch could be, you know, over the course of, of multiple days. Right. Yeah. So climbs are broken up into pitches. So like El Capitan, you're climbing like 30 plus pitches because um, obviously the rope won't go like from the bottom of the wall all the way up to the top so you're breaking it into these pitch lengths like a rope length at a time right right and is there a, a other i think there's another another discipline within climbing not using any ropes or protective equipment yeah so free soloing is um i personally don't do any free soloing but i don't blame um, <laughs> people much braver than myself do yeah, I I knew the outcome of uh, the movie Free Solo, and I still couldn't watch you know without putting my my, my fingers <laughs> in front of my face. It was terrifying. Yeah, it makes you sweat just thinking about it. Yes, yes. And did you watch that um, documentary? Was it uh, Wide Boys? I haven't. So it's uh, Wide Boys B O Y Z, and it's uh-huh. I know the name. Yeah, it's about the. I think I think they're from England. Couple of couple of guys who are in off-width crack climbing. Right. 
Yep. So they're not just putting their fingertips to, to get purchased. <laughs> and they, these, these are cracks that are, you know, wider than your fist. So they're jamming their, their whole fist, their arm, two fists, a leg, whatever they can get into the crack to, to pull themselves up. It, it, speaking of a high tolerance for pain, that, that looked pretty painful. Yeah. So one of the most famous pitches on El Capitan um, is the monster off with. So it's 200 feet of this off with climbing. So you're, you're uh, kind of the move that you're doing for all 200 feet of this. It's called a chicken wing. Because so it looks, what you're doing looks like a chicken wing. You're sticking your elbow like in this and kind of scooching yourself up for 200 feet. <laughs> it's pretty ridiculous. You've got to lose some skin on that. Oh, absolutely. You come Ooh. up. Yeah, yeah. A few scrapes later. Chicken you kind wing. of surface from this monster. And have you done that? I have. I've actually done it twice. So maybe chicken wing is the appropriate wall name for you. There you go. <laughs> chicken wing. Well, we'll keep looking. That That's a possibility. All right. Okay. It's not the most flattering, but I can work with it. <laughs> hey, trail names are not often not very flattering, but it's just the way it is. All right. Um, hey, have you, have you listened to the podcast before? I have listened to a couple. Yeah. After you reached out to me, I listened to a couple. Okay. And so I I just want to alert you to a regular feature we have that comes towards the end of the episode called the pro tip insight of the week. And that's where I will turn to you, Amity, and I will, I will ask you to share some, some bit of insight or wisdom with our listeners to make their next next outdoor adventure even better. So don't be surprised when we get there. I'm no pro, but I'll do my best. Okay. Uh, it, well, you know what? I have to. I beg to differ because I've I've, <laughs> I've I've looked at our notes here that you, we've shared back and forth about your experiences. And I, well, if you define pro as you know being paid for it, uh, maybe not. But in terms of experience, <laughs> you you have got a lot of great experiences here that I can't wait to talk about. So thanks. I'm looking forward to it. Okay. Well, hey, another feature we've been doing this season is the Must Bring Gear Review, sponsored by the Ultralight Backpacking Company, uh, Outdoor Vitals. And so here's how it works. If we were to let a stranger pack your bag with pretty much generic gear, I, I put it in here for a multi-day hike, but you know that doesn't really apply to a climber. So how about for a, a multi-pitch uh, climb? Um, what is the one specific piece of gear you would insist on being packed? And if you've got a particular brand of gear um, for that, for that uh, equipment, even better. So Amity, what is your must bring piece of gear? <laughs> so my first thought when I saw this question was snacks. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. So, I mean, of course you have your climbing essentials. I've got my fam- favorite harness, um, made by camp, uh, my favorite climbing shoes made by Scarpa. Uh, and of course all your safety gear, your ropes, your, camming devices for trad climbing but as i mentioned i really don't mess around when it comes to fueling my adventures so i like to bring a variety of snacks with me on my climbs and i'm very often the one nagging other people to keep eating throughout the day so um my my must bring piece of gear is snacks and what what specific snacks are the, uh, the the snack of choice for for Amity? Uh, so I'll go with some like prepackaged bars. Um, my favorites right now are Enduro Bites. 
It's actually this company, small little company in Colorado Springs. They make some like all natural, like minimally processed sports bras. They're awesome. But I also really enjoy doing something like really salty. So my favorite combo right now is like really salty pumpkin seeds with some dried fruit. The like salty sweet combo is my favorite right now. And I also bring carrots. Always bring carrots. I love carrots. Yep. Good for the, good for the fingers and the eyes. Exactly. You see where the next handhold is. (laughs) Now I know in, in backpacking and through hiking, you can spend a lot of money on gear all the essentials, you know, the backpack, the tent, uh, sleeping bag, the, the, uh, water filter. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And you can, you, I mean, if you're, if you're going to be going ultralight, I mean, you can spend thousands of dollars to outfit your, your pack there. What, what does it typically cost for climbing gear? And when you, the, 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 the pieces that you listed off your harness, your shoes, ropes, cams, are, are those the main pieces or there, or is there more than that? Yeah, that's kind of your your basic kit, I guess you could say, is your your harness, your rope, your shoes, um, quick draws. So if you're sport climbing, that's what you would be clipping to those bolts that are already in the wall, and then cams, which are the yeah the um, like traditional climbing device that you would mm-hmm. use to protect in the cracks. Um, if you're doing a like a big multi-pitch, multi-day climb, it obviously gets a lot more complicated with, you have to have sleeping equipment and camping or cooking, camping, all that kind of stuff up on the wall with you. So that gets a lot more complicated. But yeah, kind of your basic is those rope okay. harness shoes. And have you done, have you done multi-day pitches, multi-day climbs? I have, yeah. So this past spring that I was in Yosemite, um, I did, I went up, El Cap twice. So the first time spent four days up on the wall and then the second time spent uh, like five and a half days up there. Okay. And so you spent the night on a portal ledge? A mini nights. Yep. Okay. I can't wait to talk about that. We're not gonna talk about it now, but I'm, uh, we're going to get to it. I got, I have lots of questions. Yeah, we'll, we'll get there. Okay. Very good. So before we get too far down the trail, let's, uh, let's back up a little bit and talk about, you know, how you got involved growing up, you know, what the family was like, what kinds of sports and hobbies, and how did you get involved in an in outdoor adventure? I know that's a lot of, a lot of questions right there. Let's just start, <laughs> just start at the beginning and, 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 t- and walk, me, walk us through it. All right, we'll try and be brief here. Okay. Uh, so I grew up in Loveland, Colorado. Uh, I really wasn't introduced to outdoor adventure sports until I moved away to college in Texas. Um, so I went climbing once in sixth grade. And I like, still very clearly remember how enthralled I was with climbing. Um, I, I kind of took to it like immediately. But at that time, I was like fully immersed in the world of gymnastics. Um, I really had no concept of the idea that climbing could be pursued as a sport or a lifestyle. Um, so I was training for gymnastics like five hours a day, five to six days a week, most of my childhood. Um, through the end of high school when I actually fractured my back, um, quickly put an end to the gymnastics career. But I, this like level of energy expenditure was so ingrained in me. Like I really thrived on that high intensity, high volume of physical activity. So when I was done with gymnastics, I like 
I needed to find another outlet to pour <laughs> that excessive energy into. Um, okay, before we, get to, before we get to that outlet, what was your specialty in gymnastics? Um, I competed in all four of the women's events. So like vault, bars, beam, and floor. I was actually probably best at bars. I was never very powerful, so I wasn't quite as good at like vault or floor, but I loved it. Okay. And take us through the, the back-breaking injury. Which area did that take place in? Was that on the bars or was it a floor routine? Or It was actually uh, just a couple of stress fractures. Um, so it wasn't like an acute uh, injury. It was just, just like overuse. Right. These yeah. years and years of demanding probably more out of your body than it's meant to take. But I, th- I thought that was going to be our first dramatic story for the, for the episode here. <laughs> breaking nope. of the back. No. Okay. Okay. So you, you, you a couple of stress fractures in, in the back, gymnastics is over, you meet an outlet and how do you find that outlet? Yeah. So the college that I ended up attending in Texas hosted this freshman welcome week and most of them were on campus, but that one of the options was to do an outdoor adventure week in Colorado. Um, so that was really my first introduction to backpacking, climbing, really any outdoor activity. Uh, I was like immediately hooked. I was the kid that was like up before all the camp counselors and like running and getting water from the, in the morning and unpacking all the food in the morning. And so they quickly recruited me to come work for them on campus in the fall. And I ended up joining, I worked at the rock climbing wall on campus throughout college ended up joining the climbing team, like club climbing team. And uh, yeah, that was kind of the start of it. Okay. Now, um, through hiking really lends itself to obsessive personalities. People really <laughs> obsess on, you know, the, the planning of a hike, uh, the preparing for a hike, you know, getting the gear, you know, what type of gear, you know, really analyzing, going, you know, going way down the rabbit hole and obsessing on stuff. Sounds like you might have that same obsessive uh, personality. <laughs> you could probably say that. Yeah. So you do yeah, that. I'm kind of a, kind of an all in or all out. So when I commit to something, I'm pretty all in. Okay. Fully committed. But yeah, so I actually met my husband, Connor, uh, working at the rock climbing wall on campus. We both worked there. Um, he's actually the one who taught me how to climb outdoors and really sparked my passion for outdoor climbing. Um, <laughs> this is a funny story for you. One of our first dates was actually climbing at this little zone in central Texas called Enchanted Rock. Uh, we like to say it was love at first sight with the climbing. <laughs> Eventually <laughs> then realized I was also super into Connor as well, but took a little longer. Nice. Yeah, I saw on your social media account, I think it was Instagram, that, that you guys have a combined account, right? Yeah, yeah. We did for a long time. Um, I guess it's kind of more trended toward being my own climbing account but yeah okay now so you went which university in texas did you go to uh we went to baylor baylor okay yeah waco texas mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and what what uh so you're pursuing your major your your uh, master's in sports nutrition what's your what's your bachelor's in so i was actually 
going to do physical therapy. So yeah, I graduated the degree in just like exercise science. Um, took me a while to kind of figure out what I'm actually interested in. So I was out of school. I was working for a while while Connor was doing grad school. Uh, we were up in New Jersey. And then, then I decided to go ahead and go back to school and do my master's in sports nutrition. Okay. And what, what does Connor do now? Uh, <laughs> currently, he is filling the role of responsible adult in our relationship. And uh, he actually works as a carpenter, Finnish carpenter. Um, yeah, which is nice. It's fairly flexible. He's kind of able to work, you know, a couple months at a time on a job and then we can take off and go climb for a while. So a few things are a few, a few professions are great to have in the family, you know, lawyer, dentist, doctor, uh, plumber, carpenter. I mean, that's, that's, those are, those are good skills to have. Yep. Yep. He's always dreaming about, uh, building out our next van. So it's helpful to have the carpentry skills. Okay. So we've mentioned van a couple of times now. Tell us, tell us about that. Yeah. So we have lived in a van full time for almost three and a half years. Um, yeah, like I said, Connor was in grad school in New Jersey and kind of toward the end of our time there, we realized how unsatisfied we were with like the current life trajectory, like the typical American way of going to school and going to more school and getting a job and getting another job and settling down, having kids. We decided we weren't, that wasn't really for us. So we started learning more about this crazy trend called hashtag van life and uh, eventually decided to risk it and went all in and we bought a van, spent about five months researching, designing, building out this Ford Transit. And yeah, we've been in it for over three years. We really love the mobility um, that it allows. It kind of lets you cherry pick the best seasons for wherever you want to be. And you get to take home with you. So it's pretty awesome to wrap up a long day of climbing and go home to a home-cooked meal and a memory foam mattress in the middle of the desert or wherever you are. So Amity, this is not a conversation that just springs out of nowhere. Both of you start talking about it at the same time. Who brought up the, the transition to van life first? Was it you or was it Connor? <laughs> you know, I don't actually remember. Um, but I don't think it took much convincing for either of us. Okay. That was going to be my next question is how, how long did it take you? <laughs> I think we came around to it pretty quickly. Okay, so what you lived in an apartment before that, or a, a condo, or a yeah. house? Yeah, just a little apartment. Okay, and so you couldn't take everything with you into the van, right? You had, did you did you get rid of it? Did you store it, sell it? Yeah, we sold like most of the furniture and everything, um, but we do store some stuff at my parents' house. Okay, um, and, and what? Speaking of your parents, what do they think about van life? <laughs> Uh, they're happy for us and they would never do it themselves. Uh, but they, they kind of enjoy living vicariously through our adventures. And what, what parts of the country have you been able to experience because of van life? 
Uh, we spent most of our time kind of Colorado and West. So obviously we're pursuing mostly climbing and there is climbing on the East coast, but we've kind of stayed more Colorado and West. So a lot of time in Colorado, a lot of time in, uh, Utah, like Indian Creek outside of Moab. Uh, Connor's family is up in Washington. So spend quite a bit of time like Pacific Northwest. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, California, Yosemite, it was there for a couple months this spring. But, okay. And you yeah. say that, that Connor kind of uh, taught you how to climb? He did. Yep. Okay. And what he, were, what were, what were some of the early, the early experiences to kind of get your, your feet wet with climbing? Uh, yeah. So we would go to this little, like small little granite climbing area in central Texas, um, pretty much every weekend throughout like the second half of college, uh, it's kind of like our little escape from, school every weekend uh and then yeah I guess I also did the like indoor climbing throughout college as well um then ended up having a couple surgeries like toward the end of college and right after college sidelined me a little bit for a while and then we moved up to New Jersey for Connor to do grad school we climbed some up there not really seriously and then then we built out the van and after that kind of climbing became more of a full-time pursuit for me. Okay. Now we've talked about the different types of climbing. We've talked about the gear. What other terminology or concepts do we need to understand before we get into some of your, some of your uh, incredible climbs and, and stories? What, what are the, what's the difficulty level of these, you know, I see, I see five point, one one five point one three a what would take take us through what you know what is what does all that mean yeah okay so uh climbing is graded on it's called the yosemite decimal system um so anything starting with a five point something if it starts with a five that means it is called like technical climbing so you're roped up you're using safety devices um basically you're not, you're no longer scrambling. It's not something you'd be willing to just like scramble up a little rock, like slope or something. Um, so the, the five is, that's what that indicates. And then the second number, uh, so it starts like 5.5. So that's gonna be your easiest all the way up through like the hardest climb in the world right now is 5.15 D. So goes up by number and then starting after 5.10 they start putting these a b c d also on there and it's just another way to delineate difficulty i guess okay um now uh, so five is technical climbing what is what is four right. what is three what is two what is one do you know so yeah so like a fourth class is something most outdoorsy people would probably be willing to like scramble up um then the third class is i mean if you're hiking and maybe you're traversing like a ridge between two peaks you're probably on like third or fourth class terrain it's like you don't really want to fall but you don't need to be wearing like technical climbing gear 
Okay. So that makes there's sense. Some, yeah, there's some exposure, but you don't necessarily need the the, the gear to get to get across. Right. It's Got not it. like super difficult where you would fall if you you know slipped necessarily. Okay. And one I imagine is just walking on walking on a trail. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Just one's walking. And yeah. <laughs> 5.15D 5, 5. is uh, near impossible going up. Yeah, for all but like one person in the world. Like that, that's like not a common thing. Got it. Got it. Okay, well, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to hear from Amity about some of her, her more memorable experiences on the, the sides of walls and hear about the, the full portal edge experience. I can't, I've been waiting for this. So uh, <laughs> looking forward to it. Stay tuned for that. We'll be right back. The John Freakin' Mearpod is sponsored by Outdoor Vitals, the ultralight backpacking gear company whose mission is to improve the mental, physical, and emotional health of mankind by facilitating impactful outdoor experiences. Outdoor Vitals creates innovative technical products with confidence-inspiring education that empowers outdoor ultralight adventurers. Their focus on performance and durability enables you to live ultralight with gear you can actually be confident in. Whether you're looking for an ultralight sleep system, shelter, or pack, or if you're looking for top quality apparel for the trail, you can find it at Outdoor Vitals. Do yourself a favor. Live ultralight. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money. All in one place, for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like... My creativity has raised to another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. And welcome back. We're talking to Amity Warm about some uh, different climbing experiences, how she got into it and uh, living in a van and and now we're going to travel down to uh, Yosemite. But before we get to Yosemite, I want to just clarify a little bit further for our listeners uh, about some of the other categories of climbing. So we talked about free soloing a little bit, and we talked about how that's you know Alex Honnold in the movie Free Solo. If he if if you're high up and you you fall while you're free soloing, it's it's that's dire circumstances. You don't have any protective equipment whatsoever. No ropes, no climbing equipment. It's just you and the mountain. That's right. Yeah. That's a um, very high stakes. But you do something called free climbing, not free soloing, but free climbing. And how, explain the difference there. Right. So free climbing means you're still tied into a rope. You're still using all the safety gear, but you're only using your hands and your feet on the rock. So you're only using the features present on the rock itself to climb up the wall as opposed to aid climbing where you can put 
gear in and pull on that gear um kind of kind of free for all like anything goes um so free climbing is more what i focus on and um yeah again you're just using the features of the rock to climb right and i'm assuming you've seen uh the dawn wall with tommy caldwell yes i have seen that was free climbing right they 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 were not pulling themselves up by rope they were Exactly. They were using so their the, hands and their feet on the, on the wall, and if they fell, example. they yep. fell. They were they were they were safe because of their safety equipment. But then they would go back to the beginning and, and start all over again to, to climb. Exactly. Yeah. Got it. So that brings up another good um, terminology piece that we'll want to establish here. Um, we already talked about pitches. The way the climb is kind of broken up. It's an important term. Um, the other one you'll hear a lot is sending a climb. So to send, um, to send a pitch or send a route means you've climbed it without falling. So the big thing with free climbing is to send each pitch, to climb each pitch without falling. So again, in Donwall, if they were falling on a pitch, they would go back to the start and try it again until they sent the pitch. Right. Now spell that for me. Is it just S-E-N-D? Yep. Exactly. Got it. Okay. Is it short for ascend? Do you I think, think I'm or... not sure. I'm not sure why it's called sending. Send. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm not sure. And they wouldn't go, just to clarify, they wouldn't go back to the, the start of the whole climb. They would just go to the start of that pitch where they fell. Right. Yeah. So kind of when you're climbing a big wall, like El Cap, um, you, yeah, you just go back to the start of each pitch. So there's an anchor at each pitch usually. Um, so you just go back to that anchor and redo that pitch. Okay. Which brings me to a, a, a good, a good point here. I don't know if it's a good point, but it's, it's a frame of reference for me because my daughter's boyfriend has a, an Oculus quest. Okay. Have you tried those? No. These I... are the, these are the headsets that go over your, your face. It's like a computer oh. you're wearing on your, on your face. Okay. It's virtual reality. You've also got a couple of things in your hand that, that simulate your, your hands in virtual okay. reality. And they have this climbing game, rock climbing. And so okay. you're, you're, you're going up the side you know, the handholds, the, <laughs> having to chalk your hands and uh, you get to you get to a, a tie in point. And, you know, if you were to fall, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have to go back to the bottom. Start from <laughs> that. That'd be like a saved point, but it is, it is so real. Uh, there have oh, been a couple of times where, where I've almost fallen over because of, <laughs> you know, the, my, my body position in the, in the virtual world didn't line up with my, my body position in the real world. So. Oh, wow. See, I live in a van, so I'm not very up to date on technology these days, but that sounds very interesting. Yeah. I should check that out. It is incredible. Yeah. Maybe it'd be like good practice. Yes. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's talk about uh, one of your your more important, momentous, significant climbs. The, yeah, that's a, that's a good way to put it. Okay. Um, this is in Yosemite. It's called the Golden Gate? Correct. Yeah, so um, I was out in Yosemite for almost two months this spring, and I'd only been there once previously a couple years ago, so it was really incredible um, to spend – yeah, almost too much in, or sorry, almost two months in this, um, like, very famous climbing mecca. Um, Did you, yeah, so, have you seen Valley Uprising? I have, yeah. Yeah, okay, 
Very good. You, you're, you're, you're dialed into all the climbing documentaries, except yeah, Wide Boys. You, you have to watch you Wide too. Boys. I'm impressed. All right. I'll put it on the list. <laughs> okay. So um, Golden Gate, it's, is, it, uh, is that one of the routes on El Cap? Yeah, it's a, one of the routes um, kind of up, kind of on the left side, but yeah, fairly centered on the wall uh, up El Cap. So yeah, towards the end of the time I was there, so, so let's just position it. So if we're looking at El Cap, uh, yeah. the, the nose is like the, the ridge in the middle, right? Correct. Yeah, Correct. kind of that then, most prominent it, line. Yeah, and if you're looking at that most prominent line, the Don Wall is to the right of that. Correct. Correct. Yep. So where is Golden Gate in relation to those two Golden Gate is points? to the left. It's to the left. Okay. Yep. It's left of the nose. Correct. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, um. Yeah, so kind of towards the end of the time I was there in Yosemite, a friend who I had actually just met while I was out there was looking for a partner to try a ground up ascent of Golden Gate. So ground up means you're starting at the bottom, you're going all the way to the top. Um, kind of exactly how it sounds. How many vertical but feet is that with El Cap? It is right around 3,000 feet. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> it's a long ways up. Um, so going ground up is different than a lot of times people will like hike up the back of El Cap and rappel down in and like work on each pitch individually before they actually go for the full mission from starting from the ground. Yeah, that Um, was, that was the mind boggling thing about the Don Wall. I think Tommy Caldwell did that for, I think, seven years, you know, studying, right. studying each pitch and where, you know, the handholds would, where the footholds would be and how this was going to work because it had never been done before. Yeah. So that line is incredibly difficult and no one had ever, you know, looked for a line up that section of the wall before. So he had to go drill those, the, put in those bolts for safety and kind of figure out if this was even going to work, like if mm-hmm. this was even possible. Whereas Golden Gate is like an already established climb. Like everyone knows it's climbable. There's already these anchor bolts up the wall in different places. Um, But we, my partner and I had never been up there. So the climbing itself was completely new to us. Um, But obviously this climb has been done before. So it wasn't a question of whether or not it's possible. That's always a, a bit comforting, right? Some, somebody has done this before, so it, it is <laughs> yeah, possible. Exactly. It's that whole concept of efficacy that, you know, if, if it's never been done before, nobody's ever done it. And then you're thinking to yourself, well, can I do this? But if uh, there's a little more, I mean, it's still going to be difficult. It's still going to be tough. But right. there's the notion that, okay, it is possible. Exactly. It's a yeah. little less intimidating. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, he reached out to me and uh we very quickly made plans to go try this and so the next day we were packing prepping and then launched off on our mission um so kind of what's involved with all the packing and prepping is when you're preparing to spend multiple days up on a wall we're we're prepared to spend up to eight days on the wall is what we'd packed for we're hoping we could do it much faster than that but we weren't sure how long it would take us so we packed for up to eight days and I know most of your listeners are 
hikers through hikers kind of have a better understanding of that world. So the best way I can describe big wall climbing is like backpacking vertically. Um, <laughs> kind of like through hiking, it involves a ton of logistics, um, lots of planning and uh, you're trying to go super light. You're only taking the essentials with you because you're carrying all of your equipment, your food, your water, all of your climbing gear, sleeping gear, cooking gear. You're carrying all of that with you as you climb up this 3000 foot rock wall. Um, so yeah, it's basically like vertical backpacking. I like that. Uh, Vertic- vertical backpacking. <laughs> yeah. But like, whereas with hiking, you're super excited to cover, you know, like 15 miles in a day with big wall climbing you're excited to cover like a thousand feet in a day so a little like different scale but different scale and there's no (laughs) there's no no streams running down the uh down the wall that you can you know get get your water source from you've got to carry it all up there right so that's kind of one of the i mean that's your heaviest um thing that you're packing is you know we took like 10 gallons of water up the wall with us so when you start up from the base, you're, you're hauling like two, maybe 200 pounds worth of gear with you. So the way you're doing that is you're packed in these giant, they're called haul bags. But they're basically just these really burly material, big old bags that you pack all of your gear and equipment in. And then at the top of each pitch, you set up a pulley system, actually. So it's this two to one pulley system so basically um so the 200 pounds only weighs 100 pounds or only feels like 100 pounds right yeah basically um so it's actually that's that's still a lot (laughs) that's a a lot of weight you're kind of using your body weight to you're like doing squats over and over and over to haul this these packs up with you as you go the nice thing is they get lighter as you go because you're drinking the water and eating food and everything. Very similar to through hiking. You're, you're eating your way through your, your backpack and it gets Exactly. Lighter. Yep. Very good. Yep. Okay. And so before um, you get to um, even the point of, of starting off on your climb, <laughs> Golden Gate has been done previously many times, right? Correct. Yep. Uh, is there, you know, I know backpackers through hikers will, will look, study the maps, right? There'll be a uh-huh. map of the, the John Muir trailer, Pacific crest trailer, the, the Appalachian trail. And so they'll, they'll look at all the, you know, the mileage and uh, resupplies and, you know, all the logistics with, with through hiking. Is there a similar map or a, a guidebook or some kind of source material that you're looking at for the golden gate so that you know what to expect for each pitch? Yep. Very similar. So it's called a topo, a route topo. Um, and yeah, basically it's just a map of the entire climb and how kind of the like recommended way to break up these pitches. Um, and it'll tell you on this topo, uh, it'll tell where the, the difficulty of the climbing in each section. So it'll tell you if it's a 5.11 versus a 5.13. So you know what to expect as you're moving up the wall. Um, and it'll kind of give you features like right facing corner or whatever crack system. So you know what you're looking for and you don't get like way off 
you know, you don't go down the wrong trail and end up on something much, much more difficult than you were expecting. Got it. Now the golden gate is 36 pitches. Correct. Does each pitch, this is a, this is a question that just came to me. Does each pitch have its own difficulty rating? And then the overall route of the golden gate has its, has its difficulty rating. So for example, pitch number 24 on the golden gate could be, you know, 5.11 C yet the, the whole, the whole length of the golden gate is, is averages, you know, 5.13 a, is that, is that how it works? Yeah, pretty much. So exactly. Each of those 36 pitches has its own difficulty rating. Um, And then on golden gate, there's four crux pitches. So the crux pitch is like the most difficult. So there's four pitches on golden gate that all get a 5.13 rating. Um, And are those five, are those five, five, you say five, five pitches or four pitches? four for those are those four crux pitches are they all sequential or are they different different spots on, on the wall yeah they're all in different spots oh that's so the lovely. interesting thing yeah with golden gate was um it was already really hot when we decided to go try it uh, so you could really only climb these crux pitches in the shade because with climbing if the wall is too hot your fingers sweat more and it's, you slip a lot more easily. Um, so it's more ideal to be climbing these really hard pitches in the shade or when it's colder. Um, so we kind of had to plan our days so that we would try each crux pitch at night, like in the evening, and then go to bed and wake up in the morning and try it again if we still hadn't sent it the night before. So we would give ourselves like an evening and a morning session to try and send each crux pitch. And so you are, you're, you're climbing each pitch without falling before moving on to the next one. You're sending. Correct. Pitch. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. So kind of the ethic in big wall climbing is that you, yeah, you send each pitch as you go up. Right. And you know what, you, your description of vertical through hiking is, uh, the example that you just gave is very um, it ties in very nicely with, with through hiking because, you know, often through hikers, they'll set up their, their days where they will uh, have an early morning ascent over, over, over a big pass. Let's try and knock that off in the beginning of the day, rather than have that, you know, at the very end of a day when everybody's tired and now you've got this, you know, 3000 foot ascent, uh, in front of you to get over this pass before you get to camp. So, you know, you try and set up those, those crux pitches uh, when, in, when they're shade and uh, your fingers aren't going to be sweaty. It's very similar to through hikers kind of setting up how they're going to hike the passes, the big passes. Yeah, exactly. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm done interrupting for a while. Take, take us through. You're on the ground. You're, you're there with your partner. You've got all your gear. How does it go? <laughs> Yeah, so we've got these two giant haul bags with all of our gear. And uh, like I said, we planned for up to eight days. We're hoping to do it a little faster, but we weren't sure. So we've got we've got all of our gear for, you know, an eight-day vertical backpacking trip. And yeah, you, we start climbing. Um, so the first day you don't actually do any of those crux pitches Um, and kind of the way you try to break it down. Like I said, you're trying to time it with 
the crux pitches being in the shade. Um, but the other way you're trying to break down your days so that you hit kind of these ledge systems along, like on LCAT, there's multiple ledge systems. Um, so you're kind of trying to get to each of these ledges to spend the night. It's a lot easier to set up camp if you have some horizontal surface to set up the portal edges and kind of spread out camp on as opposed to just trying to set them up on like a completely vertical blank wall. It's possible to do that, but it's a lot less comfortable. So we've kind of broken our days down into trying to make it to a different ledge system each day to set up camp. Uh, so the first day, there's no really hard pitches, kind of just getting going. That went really smoothly. We like, we crushed the first day, knocked it out super fast. We had like all afternoon to hang out on one of these big ledges, like a thousand feet off the ground. Or you're just kind of like sitting on this ledge for the afternoon. It's kind of wild. <laughs> was there um, anybody down below watching you? Yeah. So there's a couple other parties up on the wall close to us at this point still. Um, Several of the routes start on the same first chunk of climbing, the first several pitches, and then branch off in different directions. So there are a couple other people up there with us. And the other kind of funny thing with Yosemite is um, El Cap Meadow sits right below El Cap. And lots of tourists will hang out down there with binoculars and telescopes and like watch you up on the wall. So you always have a little bit of an audience. Yeah, that's where the cameraman was for free solo, right? He had his his camera set up there. Yeah, exactly. there were times where he he couldn't even he couldn't even watch uh, uh-huh. through the through the viewfinder there. He he was afraid of what he might see. Yeah. Okay. Um, How many pitches on that first day? On that first easy day? So see, I guess it's like thirteen. Yeah, thirteen pitches on that first day. Oh, so you're like a third of the way up. Yes, exactly. Okay. Distance wise but you haven't done any of those cruxes yet. Um, So distance, but not difficulty. So the second day is when you do that monster off with that I was saying that with the chicken wings, like 200 feet. So that's kind of the big deal on the second day. And then we also got to try the first crux pitch on that second evening. Um, And I thought this was the hardest pitch of the entire climb. I was like really, really discouraged. I didn't think I tried it several times and just kept falling and falling and falling. I like went to bed thinking, I was like, I might not even be able to do this. Like this is the first crux pitch. And I like, I might not even be able to get through this. Um, And my partner hadn't been able to do it yet either. So we went to bed, like pretty discouraged that first night, but woke up the next morning. It was nice and cool out had some breakfast and tried it again. And we actually both fell a couple more times and then rested a little bit. And then we both managed to do it on our next tries. So we were super excited after that and kind of raced through the next few pitches and got up to that second crux pitch. And we were able to try that one that night. And I actually managed to send that one that night at, by headlamp. So it was completely dark out because we waited for the shade. But then it gets dark pretty quickly after that. So I was climbing with a headlamp on. And I actually 
was able to send that one that night. So that second crux pitch. Now that's got to be kind of creepy. Climbing, climbing <laughs> with just a headlamp in the dark. That's got to be wild. Bit. Yeah. <laughs> In some ways it's nice because you're really able to focus just on your little sphere of light. You know, you don't have all these other distractions around you. Yeah. Um, Probably kind of like hiking with a headlamp on, you know, yeah, you're just just in this bubble. You're in a little, little bubble of light. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And and when you fall, even though you're harnessed in, even though you've got the safety rope, I mean, I have to imagine some of those falls can be painful. Uh, most of the time it's not painful. I guess it can be a little scary, um, but you kind of get used to it. Okay. You, you've never whacked your head on the side of the wall or, or scraped yourself up? I have a couple times. If you like get your foot like kind of caught behind the rope or something weird happens, you can have kind of a nasty fall. Um, but generally the falls are fairly safe. Like you're not, you're really not getting too banged up. Okay. If you're doing it right. Exactly. Okay. All right. It also depends on your, the person who's belaying you. So the person who's holding the other end of the rope, it's also kind of their job to give you a good catch. You know, they don't want to, um, they call it like giving you a soft catch. So not like, slamming you into the wall when you fall it's kind of their job to help make it a little bit softer all right so if any of our listeners out there are also rock climbers and have experienced pretty hard falls uh it's probably because they're not doing it right or their their partner is is not as attentive as he or she should be (laughs) exactly yeah okay now before we, we we continue past your the second crux here i have to ask about the whole portal edge system and sleeping yeah. on a portal edge. What what is that like? Sleeping on the side of a on the side of a cliff overnight. That, that's <laughs> that's just that, that would freak me out. It's a pretty wild experience. Um, there's nothing quite like waking up in the morning. You like look over the side of your bed, and there's two thousand feet of air just like dropping out below you. It's pretty wild. Nothing wakes you up quite that fast. Now, do you each have your own portal edge? Uh, yeah, it depends. So for this uh, mission up El Cap, we did, we both had our own portal edge, like a single, basically like a, a, like a super comfy sleeping pad. Um, so you actually inflated it every night, um, which meant it was a lot lighter than some of the other portal edge options. Some of them are like a metal frame with a canvas, kind of like a cot that you set up on the side. So most of those are two person, you're like side by side, but so these ones, yeah, these that we were using were individual, like a, basically a super comfy sleeping pad. So you're sleeping on a sleeping pad on the side of a cliff. I'm, I'm, not, yeah. sure, I'm not sure that that makes me anymore. It, it, it doesn't comfort <laughs> me anymore. But I guess think it, of it more as like a, an air mattress. It's a little thicker than a sleeping pad. Okay. No worries. But it's, about it has that all these. No, no, no worries about accidentally slicing it and falling through it or you, you do have to be careful with the stove you do you know no yeah. flames next to the portal edge um no sharp objects but you ha- they they have these obviously like very strong straps that you're attaching to a bolt or a fixed anchor on the wall and then 
you wear your harness and you're clipped in all night. So it's not like you could roll off of your bed. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a little better. Now <laughs> sleeping is not the only thing you're doing up there. You're, you're preparing your meal, you're eating. Um, you know, what about bodily functions? <laughs> so yeah, very similar to through hiking. You're well through hiking. We to... look, we look for a tree, right? We look for a tree <laughs> or you know, somewhere off path. A I guess bit and... the cooking is similar. Um, okay. So we have a stove, and I was bringing up like dehydrated meals. I like to make my own little dehydrated meals, but you can also buy like the freeze dried. I don't know if they're like the Mountain House or whatever freeze dried meals that there are. Um, I like to make my own version of those, but, um, so we were cooking dinners and I, I would boil water and do like oatmeal for breakfast and then kind of snacking, like I said, throughout the day. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, um, going to the bathroom, you obviously, you can't just like go on the side of the wall because that would make it a mess if hundreds of climbers were doing that every year. Um, so you pack it in, you pack it out, you take up a whole bunch of wag bags with you and uh, you, you can take either like a big plastic bucket or you call it like a, a poop tube, um, but basically a big container that you poop in a bag and then you put it in this big plastic bucket and take it all the way up to the top with you. It's like a diaper genie for, for yeah. climbers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> And so not only are you carrying up your, your food, but then you're also carrying up your waste as you. Yeah. It's amazing how much six days worth of poop weighs. <laughs> you wouldn't believe it, but it's a lot of weight. Well, now that, that makes me want to ask the question, how much does six days of poop weigh? I, I threw it away before I found a scale, but. Uh, it weighed entirely too much. Yeah. Too okay. much. Yeah. More than I wanted to hike down, but. <laughs> Okay. And so we, we, we left off with, uh, you, you completed the second crux. Uh, your partner had not yet though. He had not yet. He'd gotten to try it, but he hadn't sent it yet. Mm -hmm. So we woke up super early the next morning and he got to try it a couple of times and he sent it, which was awesome. We were stoked. We were able to move on, uh, and keep climbing up higher that day up to the next crux pitch. And, uh, oh, this was actually my favorite pitch of the climb. It's called the golden desert, but it's this beautiful, sometimes the individual pitches will get named as well, um, as the entire climb. But anyway, this is like beautiful crack system. So you're placing that traditional gear in the cracks as you go. And I actually managed to climb to send this one first on my first attempt which is called on sighting it you're climbing it for the first time without seeing it before um so that was like probably one of my highlights of the entire climb was that pitch just like so much fun uh kind of like the the best it gets and nice yeah that was a highlight uh and did your partner did he did he also on it he he didn't. It took him a couple tries, uh, but he also did it that night. So we went ahead. This time, there's two of those crux pitches back to back. So that golden desert pitch 
And then the next one is called the A5 Traverse. It's just the name that it's given. Um, so we both tried that one that night. And we were pretty tired, though, by this point. Uh, so we came down, like we rappelled back down to the ledge where we had set up camp, which is just like a pitch below us. Because um, there's a nice ledge there. So we had set up camp there and spent the night. And then he actually was able to do that fourth crux pitch. My partner was, he did that the next morning right away. Uh, but this one took me a lot of tries. It like, it really had my number for some reason. Uh, probably I was partly tired and I don't know. I just had a lot of difficulty putting this one together. So we ended up waiting that whole day uh, on this ledge but fortunately it was a really nice ledge. We're like hanging out, uh, just jamming to music and eating food and kind of just like chilling on the side of a mountain 2000 feet up the wall for the entire day. But it would have been super relaxing, but I was stressed about having to send this pitch still. Uh, so I was like impatient all day and like kind of stressed about having to do this still. But anyway, we waited for shade that night and uh, I went up and actually was able to send it that first try that evening. So super relieved. We're moving on. And yeah, so that was the fourth of the crux pitches. So at that point, we kind of knew like, all right, we're going to be able to do this. Like we're going to finish it. Um, And what was your partner's name? uh, Tyler Carow. And yeah, K-A-R-O-W. Okay. And actually he made a video of this entire five and a half days that we spent on the wall and it's on YouTube. I can give you, I don't know if you can put in like the show notes, the link to the video. It's pretty entertaining though. So I'll send you the link to that. Yeah, we definitely definitely want to watch that. So (laughs) it's pretty entertaining. Um. But yeah, so then we ended up spending the night on that ledge still that night and just did the last couple um, like easier pitches the next morning. But it was, yeah, it was definitely one of the biggest climbing accomplishments for me to date and for him, my partner also. Um, so yeah. O- so overall, that was a 5.13A? Yep. Yep. So there are four pitches that were, um, 5.13 a, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. And so do, does, is the whole climb defined by an average, uh, uh difficulty rating or whole, is it, or is it by its highest, uh, difficulty rating by the highest? Yep. Got it. By okay. the highest difficulty. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. And was this, was this climb notable in any other way? Were you, so I was actually the f- only other three other females have ever free climbed this actually. So I was the fourth, fourth female to free climb this. Okay, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. That's awesome. Incredible. All right. What is, what is next for Amity? What, what's your next challenge? Um, we, I'm back in, yeah, back in Colorado right now. And hoping to spend most of July up in Rocky Mountain National Park. Um, so there's a couple lines, a couple of climbs up on Long's Peak 
that I want to try, uh, which would be like big, like more alpine style missions where you have like a big approach, like three hour hike in and then you climb all day. So it's kind of just like these really big alpine days. And then probably spend most of August in Washington, actually. Um, so the North Cascades up there, there's quite a bit of climbing up there. Okay. Where is the best climbing? Oh man, that is a very subjective question. Um, let me rephrase. Where is the best climbing according to Amity? <laughs> so this actually is uh, one of my top five list items. But oh well, let's 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 go to the top five. Since you okay, up, let's go to the top five. Uh, let's let's do top five climbing moments. For, for <laughs> okay, Amity. so I did get to prepare a little bit for this um, in no particular order, but these are my top five. Uh, so first one, Connor, my husband, actually proposed to me on top of a climb in Washington after pulling a plastic ring out of the chalk bag that he'd been using the entire day. Um, so that was a, definitely a top five moment. But he didn't, he didn't trust his skills. He didn't trust his hands to, to bring the real ring with him and put it in that chalk well, bag. Well, we actually didn't have a real ring yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. We're a little behind the eight ball on that one. Very good. Where, where was that climb? That was in the uh, Pacific Northwest? Yeah, at Index, Washington. Index, okay. Yep. Okay, so that's a that's a pretty high moment. That, you said no particular order, but I have to imagine that's near the top. That's definitely near the top. Okay. Um, and then a second one was uh, climbing those last few pitches of Golden Gate. So after we'd already done all of the hardest pitches, and you know you're going to accomplish this goal, you're kind of just like soaking up the glory of like romping up these easier sections, like 3000 feet off the ground. Um, so it's kind of like, uh, like you've hiked the entire Pacific crest trail and now you get to walk downhill for like the last four miles to the end. Like, you know, you're going to do it. You're kind of just enjoying the last little experience. Good analogy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So then destinations, Indian Creek outside of Moab, Utah. It's kind of one of one of my favorite places. Um, it's just this gorgeous desert setting, like very kind of feels pretty rugged. Um, the climbing is amazing. Landscape is like breathtaking. Um, so that's definitely one of my favorite places. Okay. Other favorite destinations. I really love Rocky Mountain National Park. I grew up fairly close to it so it kind of has a special place for me sure and it's just gorgeous um yosemite definitely and i think that's yeah those five. are those are probably three of the okay. top favorite destinations um and then i think one of my other like top five climbing moments is just watching other people achieve their goals it's really cool to see someone accomplish something they didn't think they were capable of and like being a part of cheering for them or supporting them um is always like pretty cool mm -hmm. and quick question what when, when you got started in climbing later a little bit later you didn't wasn't something when you're doing you're a kid so how long 
from the point that you started climbing to the point where you felt you were ready to do a 36 pitch 5.13 a difficulty level climb (laughs) um is that years is that years of experience that you need to build up to that or is that something that someone who's fairly athletic could could uh you know prepare themselves for in six months uh i probably didn't think i was capable of it until i was standing on top of it i think yeah until i'd already done it um difficulty wise a someone who had been climbing for a while and is you know fairly strong climber could probably do it uh not very far into their climbing career but all the logistics that also come with big wall climbing so like hauling their haul bags and all the different like rope management um it's definitely helpful to have some practice on a smaller scale before you attempt the big mission. Got it. And how much money do you have tied up in climbing equipment? <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, I thought I'm sure thousands of dollars of gear. Okay. The nice thing with climbing is like, once you buy the gear, you really aren't replacing it very often. So you kind of have this upfront investment, but mm-hmm. then it lasts a long time. Okay. Hey, Amity, you know where we are? Where? We are at that time of the episode where I ask you for your pro tip insight of the week. So what little piece (laughs) of wisdom, insight, uh, trick do you have for our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better? Well, this probably won't be a surprise to you, but my number one tip is to fuel well. The better you fuel your adventures. I saw that that coming. (laughs) Yep. The better you fuel, the better you're going to feel, the better you're going to perform. Um mentally physically all around so that's probably my number one tip okay so there you have it that that's it this episode is just about in the books hope our listeners enjoyed our time with amity want to thank her for joining us this week amity how can our listeners keep up with you on social media and where can they find updates on your latest adventures uh yeah my instagram is amity.warm just how it sounds a-m-i-t-y dot w-a-r-m-e and yeah, it's the best way to keep up. I've also written a couple of articles um, that you can probably include the link to those in the show notes as well, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, one of them is about underfueling in outdoor athletes, so not eating enough. And the other one's kind of about like setting big goals and like shifting, kind of how you shift the definition of success from like performance based to effort based. So I can Got send it. you those. No articles yet on pooping from a portal edge? No, but maybe that'll be next. Okay. All right. <laughs> we'll do a little tutorial. <laughs> All right. So there you have it. That's it. Uh, remember to check out the pod on social media as well. We're on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and most recently, TikTok. Do you know that? Doc is on the TikTok. not. So there you go. And if you wow. have comments or clips you want to share, you can send it to me at johnfreakandmuir at gmail.com. Amity, I'm also looking to you to share a recommendation for a piece of adventure media to keep our listeners connected to the outdoors. This could be a movie, a book, a documentary, a YouTube channel. Uh, what do you have for us in, in terms of adventure media recommendation? Yeah, I, I would actually like to recommend a, another podcast episode. Uh, this is with Mason Earl. 
so it's featured on the podcast Death, Sex, and Money, actually, with Anna Sale. The podcast episode is titled uh, Former Pro Climber on Enduring Chronic Illness. So Mason Earl was this pro climber, um, hugely successful, like bursting with energy, suddenly went to being confined to bed um, 20, like 22 plus hours a day with this chronic condition called MECFS, stands for myalgic encephalomyelitis and chronic fatigue syndrome. Uh, so on this podcast, he speaks like very authentically about his condition. It's kind of like seeking optimism but without sugarcoating the gravity of his situation. Um, anyway, I'm not an overly emotional person, but listening to Mason share his experiences definitely tugs the heartstrings. So it's definitely worth a listen, even if you're not a rock climber. Okay. And once again, his name and the title of the podcast? Mason Earl is the climber's name. And the podcast is called A Former Pro Climber on Enduring Chronic Illness. And the podcast is Death, Sex, and Money with Anna Sale. Okay. Thank you very much. And before we wrap things up, I've got a final segment called What Have I Not Asked You That You're Dying to Tell Us About? I could not come up with anything for this. No? (laughs) I think I've talked enough. Okay. All right. (laughs) Well, very good. That's a wrap from the John Freaking Muir Studio. Any shout outs to friends and family, Amity? I definitely want to express gratitude to the couple of companies who have supported me and my goals. So Camp is one of the main companies that has supported me with equipment and uh, Himali, uh, also Colorado-based. They make lots of awesome jackets. And Endurobytes was that other company in Colorado Springs that I mentioned. So big thanks to them, but also massive thank you to my husband, Connor. Um, He's my number one partner for adventures and for life. So always grateful for his companionship. Fantastic. Did we come up with a, a wall name for you? You don't like chicken wing, huh? Oh, I don't, I don't think so, but <laughs> I can live with it for now, I guess. All right. Well, if our listeners have picked any kind of uh, wall name out of this episode for Amity, you have to write in and let us know. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Well, thank you for tuning in. Always remember the trail is the trail. It doesn't care if you want to go downhill. It doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. It doesn't even care if you're 3,000 feet up without a deuce of spades. The trail is the trail. Embrace the suck. game in wild places tune in to hunt stand presents saturdays at 8 30 p.m eastern waypoint tv the destination for outdoor entertainment you're listening to the waypoint podcast network brought to you in part by hunt stand the number one hunting and land management app